a beautiful, wonderful camp. It's, it's part of the Alberta Baptist Association. And I was there with a group of grade four, five, and sixers. I was the speaker that week, and I introduced myself as being from Calgary and a huge supporter of both the Flames and the Stampeders. The chorus of boos I received was something that you could not have predicted. You couldn't, if you paid every kid 100 bucks and said, boo as loud as you can, I don't know that they would have matched that level. They teach them in Edmonton at a young age to love their, uh, their sports teams. But here, I think, is a safe place to say, go Stamps, go, and we can cheer for them later on in the Grey Cup. Another thing that um, our family was able to do during the sabbatical was go to Virginia for an extended time. And Virginia has some huge rivers in it. And these rivers have beaches along the side. And different streams from the ocean actually carry in fossils, like shark teeth, for example. And so we went, and we would buy these at the dollar store. It looks like a pasta strainer, but what it actually is is a shark tooth finder. So... You could go to one of these beaches here, and you have to do your research and find out what the correct ones are. And you go a few feet into the water, and you scoop up all the sand and stuff, and you shake it through, and you keep on shaking. And then at the end of it, when most of the big or the small stuff sifts through, you can pick through the bigger rocks and see what you find. I'll show you what my son found. It's amazing. He gave this to me this morning to show you. Look at this shark tooth. It was really great. We found about 50 different fossils. It was fantastic. We enjoyed that. But without the filter, it would have been very, very hard to find what we were looking for. We couldn't have seen what was in value. In Philippians 4 and verse 8, Paul gives us a filter for how we can sift through most anything that we will encounter in lives. How can we hold on to what is true and what is good? What should we think about as people who are Christians? Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4 says, Finally, brothers, we could add in there, and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, dwell or think on these things. Is there something that you need to sift through today? Maybe stop and think for a moment. Um, is there a relationship that's difficult? Is there a tough decision that you're going to have to make? Is there some new opportunity thing that's happening that you want to ensure is worth your time, that it would be a, a good decision to make? Pick something and keep it in mind because as we work through this filter of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, you can apply what we talk about and discuss today right to that issue and you can see how this filter helps us to focus on what is good in life. So let's begin with the first, the first level of the filter. It's an amazing filter. Whatever is true. Truth is reality defined. Truth is the opposite of a lie. And we want, as Christians, to think about what is objectively true. Jesus claimed to be the truth. And this is an amazing claim. He didn't claim to just know about the truth or someone who'd be a good teacher of the truth. He said, I am the truth. We see that in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
claims to be the truth. He is the one who gets to say what is truth and what is not. That's the claim he makes. It's basically a claim to deity. He's saying he is God. He is objective. He's above all. What would Jesus say about the issue that you're facing? If you were to read his teachings, what would he teach you about what you're going through? How would his principles apply? And what will quickly become clear is that if we want to focus our thoughts on what is true, we need to begin to understand what does God say is true. That means we need to learn and apply what does the Bible teach. So if you are looking for a place to start in your Bible to figure out uh, what does Jesus teach about truth, then I would recommend that you read the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew shows us Jesus as the great teacher. That's one of the big themes of Matthew. That means that as you read Matthew, you can consider Jesus to be your teacher and for you to be his student. And you can be more than a student. You can be a disciple. A, a student gets to pick and choose what they want to apply to their lives as the knowledge comes in. But Jesus is the great teacher. He understands this world, and he understands our hearts and our minds better than any other because he is God. Therefore, in order to truly learn what he teaches, you must be committed to living out those truths. And as those truths become very strong and firm and concrete in your mind, that will give you the beginning of this filter for discerning um, God's truth in life, discerning and what we should think about. The next part of the filter is whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of your respect. If something isn't true, that means that it hasn't passed through the filter, and uh, I mean, we should just stop thinking about it right away. It's a lie. We don't want to put our good thinking into lies. But here's the next question of the filter. Is this information or the situation, this relationship, this fact that we're considering, is it an honorable one? Honorable talks about things that are worthy, things that have an inherent worth. You could consider what's the sum total of this thing or this action that I'm considering. Will it be deserving of honor? Is, is there enough value here to command my attention? Where if my thoughts lingered on this and I took it to heart and really considered it, I would be better because I've taken the time to think about it. I find the honor filter to be especially helpful when it comes to evaluating relationships with people. It's valuable to how I think about other people. There's going to be instances in life when people do things that hurt. And that'll be truth. That'll be a fact. They did do something that hurt. But is that how I should think about that person and consider them through the lens of a legitimate hurt? Is, is that what I want that relationship to look like in my mind when I picture the person? No, I don't want that. Instead, I want to apply the second filter here of honor. I want to think about others in a way that captures the worth that God has put on their life. I don't want to spend time considering all the different impacts and implications of the hurt. I don't want for my thoughts to dwell on that pain and keep on living there. It's better to think about what is honorable in the other person than what is painful. For example, let's talk about Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. You can read that for yourself later in John chapter 8. Consider how Jesus responded 
to the outcasts of his day. So what happened here is they brought a lady to Jesus immediately after they caught her in the act of adultery. And that was the truth. I mean, she was caught in the act. But Jesus saw the value and the worth in this woman. He didn't stop at the truth. He continued on to honor. Her accusers wanted the death sentence for her. Jesus wanted life for her. So he tells her, go and sin no more. How do you see others? Do you just stop at the truth? I want to encourage you to continue continue on to honor. What's worthy about that person? What quality has God made them with? The third level of our filter is whatever is just. Others have translated this to read whatever is right. And the sort of justice or rightness that is being referred to is an honorable truth that is fair for all parties involved. It's good for everyone who is a part of it. Thinking just thoughts will steer you away from conflicts and from quarrels with others. When you think of things this way with whatever is just, you are considering what would be a good win-win scenario. You are using truth and honor, and at the same time are attempting to consider what is going to be the best for everybody who is involved here. This is how God sees things. How will your decision on the matter affect your family? If, how will think, thinking about thing, these things affect your church or fellow employees? Uh, how will thinking through this decision affect your neighbors? Thinking about whatever is just means that you're considering more than the immediate ramifications of a decision. Uh, you're also going to consider long-term effects. I found a really interesting cross-reference to this in my Bible in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what it says. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, the it that is being referred to in the third word of that sentence refers to the gospel. You'll see that in verse 16. The gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes in Jesus. For in that gospel is God's righteousness. We are to evaluate based on the sort of justice or righteousness that is found to be revealed to us in the gospel. The gospel, which means the good news, is that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins, to give you an eternal life, in relationship with God. That's the good news that Jesus has. You don't have to be condemned as a sinner. You can find hope in Jesus. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can leave those sins behind and trust Jesus' goodness over your own goodness. Think about things that have a righteousness and a justice that is according to that gospel there. Now, this shows me that the gospel of Jesus needs to always be at the front of my mind. I've always got to be considering, how does the gospel apply? It will shape how I see the world and how I see people in God's world. The TV show that you would like to watch and enjoy, is it giving you a true view of the world? Is it honorable? How does that show describe what is right? How does it talk about what is just? Consider it, evaluate it, put together an intelligent answer and say, is this worth my time? Is this where I should be putting my best thoughts into? 
The next part of the filter, the fourth one, is whatever is pure. Clean things. Clean thoughts. Clean words. Clean actions. Thinking about this is wholesome. Now, Scripture teaches us over and over that we are to be pure. That means pure thinking. It means pure living. God's standard for us is perfection. I'm going to give you um, four references in a row really quickly to show that. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Leviticus eleven forty five. For I am Yahweh, who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, so you must be holy because I am holy. Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 1 Peter 1.16, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. God is holy, and God has decreed that his people will be holy. There is great clarity throughout all of Scripture on this. We, the children of God, are to be holy. We are to be pure. The person who is pure, free from all contamination of sin, is set apart as holy to God. And the purity that is being talked about by Paul in Philippians 4, is one of our thoughts. Do you have pure desires, pure thoughts about other people? Do you want to see them thrive, prosper, grow into the image of Christ? This filter that we're going through is a list of how we are to think. If we will commit to thinking about what is pure, how will that then affect our actions? How will pure thinking affect our appetite? Not just for food. Here's what I mean. So unfortunately, I've trained myself when I'm very thirsty to crave Coca-Cola Classic. No joke. I can be just like dying of thirst, wanting a drink so badly, and this is what I want most. Now, it doesn't take a doctor to tell you Coca-Cola Classic is not what you should crave when you are thirsty. It is a far better thing to crave water, right? But here's what I've done. When I'm thirsty, that's what I've grabbed in the past, and I've trained myself over and over. This is what I want. It's not a healthy thing. I try to correct it. But it's what happened over routine. We can do the same thing with our appetites in life. We, we can use things that are not pure to satisfy different cravings that we have. So over time, it's the wrong things that we crave. And so in a moment of decision, we will crave what is wrong. Seeking to think Things that are pure means that we train ourselves to crave what is good and what is holy and what is right in our minds and our thoughts, and that affects how we live. We can crave the holiness of God. He wants us to be holy. He's made it possible. The pure life that he offers to us, we can crave that. We can have an appetite for that above, Um, craving things that are not nearly as good for us or things that are, in fact, bad for us. Um, Let's use, for example, uh, King David and Bathsheba. Now, King David knew that he had a problem. He had fixed his mind on another man's wife. He saw her bathing. He allowed that to grow into a longing and into a desire. And soon those thoughts gave way to the action, the sin of adultery. He was called out on that by a prophet of God. And the result was that David began to long once again for the purity. And it was a purity that he couldn't produce on his own. It was outside of his ability to make himself clean once again. 
And so he prayed a prayer that's recorded in Psalm 51. And we can join him in this prayer. Here's just two verses of it, verses 6 and 7. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. So purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God desires integrity in our thinking. He wants us to have pure thinking. God can teach you his wisdom, even as David prayed for it. God can purify your heart. He can help us to deal with those unholy appetites that we have and put good, pure appetites in their place. You can be washed, but not with water and soap, but with the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your sins and mine. It makes us clean. His sacrifice makes us right with God. And then in Christ, we are now called by God pure and righteous and holy. God sees us through the complete righteous work of Jesus. His declaration is perfect. They are perfect because Jesus is perfect, and he sees Jesus over top of all who call on Jesus' name. So now that God can make us clean and right because of his faithful, loving kindness... Why should we go back to putting what is impure in our thoughts again? Why should we reintroduce that? Of course we shouldn't. Instead, we should fix our minds on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. And the next one of this filter is whatever is lovely. Now, the meaning for this is closer to the word lovable than lovely. What is lovable? Things that are attractive endearing, good, uh, things that usually make you want to smile. Some of us are married. uh, Some of us are widowed. Some of us are happily single. Some of us are still too young to date. But romance is an easy illustration for what is lovable about a person. It is the things that are lovable that makes you want to know them better, that makes you want to take an interest. But it seems to me that the longer we know a person the easier it becomes to look over what is lovable and begin to focus our thoughts on what is not lovely. Paul is showing us in Philippians 4 that we do best when we think about what is lovely. Are there issues in our relationships that we'll need addressed from time to time? Sure. Sure, we all, we all do wrong. We all even have blind spots. We have things about us that, that need improving. And it is possible and good and right to address those issues with one another using compassion and using love and and being examples of grace. But I don't want for those issues to define how I think about a person. When I think about you, I I want to think about what is lovable. I, I want to think about you about what is honorable, what is true and pure. Now, the other important way to see what is lovable is to see that we would intentionally stop giving attention to things that are not lovely. If something is not lovely, it doesn't pass the filter. Don't let your mind dwell there. If it is base, if it is sinful, if it's going to lead us into temptation, then we need to name it for what it is. That's the thing that is not lovely. It's not good. It's not going to draw me towards Christ. It's going to have a devastating effect. And let's move on to focus our thoughts and think about things that instead are lovely. The final bit of the filter here is whatever is commendable. 
Think about things that you would have no issue recommending to somebody else. Can you recommend the movie? Can you recommend the book? Can you recommend the person? Can you recommend? And then you can fill in the blank there for whatever it is you might want to recommend. What are you thinking about when you put it through that filter of what is true, honorable, just, pure, and lovely? At the end of it all, as somebody who carries the name of Christ on their life, who says, yes, I'm a Christian because you have put your life into God's hands, can you still recommend it? If so, that's great. I mean, if so, think hard about those things. Think about what God might do with those things. They've passed through the filter. Talk about it with others. Share what you know, because if it can make it through this filter, it is surely deserving of our thoughts, our time, and attention. The next thing that Paul says is, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise. What these two phrases here are is a good summary of the previous six points. If what it is that you were thinking about can survive that filter, then it must be of moral excellence. It must be praiseworthy. And then the command is beautiful. We are to dwell on these things. We are to think about these things, these things that we see in Philippians 4, verse 8. Why should we think about those things? Our thoughts shape us. Our thoughts affect us deeply. And this isn't just a mere thinking exercise. And while God certainly requires for us to have good, wholesome, right, correct thinking, it's so much more than just knowledge and information that we seek. Christianity is living the abundant life of Christ. Look what Paul writes next in verse 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So do you hear what he's saying here? Read between the lines with me. Paul has history with them. His audience knows him. They know how he thinks, lives, and relates because he has lived with them. And he has lived out this exact pattern of thinking and living with them. And so he can say to them, do what you saw me do. Do what I taught you. Do what you received from me. Paul was the real deal. If you ask Paul what a Christian was, he would be able to say, follow me for a week and I'll show you. If someone says to you, how should a Christian live? Can you say, well, hey, I follow Christ. Come with me. Do what I do. See how I act. Interact with other people. That's how a Christian should do it. See how I interact with my uh, fellow um, co-workers. That's how a Christian should do it. See how I am when I'm all by myself. That's how a Christian should live. That's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 9. We are to be the living example of what this looks like. And it is possible. And it is good and it's right. It's, it's for us. We are to shine God's light by living God's truth. And the God of peace will be with you. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we learned how to pray and how to not let anxiety and worry rule the day. The promise there is that the peace of God would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A beautiful promise. But what comes next is how we need to evaluate our thinking. And that's what we've talked about today, this, this filter. And that makes sense because how can we ask God 
to guard our minds with his peace if we are not willing to trust him with the way that we think. We can trust him with our thoughts, with this way of thinking, because we need to. We need his peace to be people of peace. We need his peace to be peacemakers, to be peaceful. You know, imagine with me what it would like, what it would be like to be a part of a community of people where everybody was committed to thinking through things this way. Could you imagine how good relationships with me would be if everybody processed information about you this way? If everybody in a community thought about you using this filter, wouldn't it be a wonderful feeling? Wouldn't you feel so much value on your life? And wouldn't you see such amazing value in the work of God and the people around you? It would be a fantastic thing. Or could you imagine how differently we would see this world if this was our holy framework for thought and evaluation? You know, this is a picture of the church that Jesus has bought with the price of his own life. He died so that we could be free from the grips of sin and sinful thinking. He lives to help us shine his light in his world. When we think this way that is taught to us by the Apostle Paul, we are displaying our trust in Jesus. We're displaying our trust in what he taught. We're showing that though we may not understand every detail, and though there are things that might catch us off guard or unprepared, we trust him with our minds and we trust him with our lives. We are the children of God. We know that he is for us. You know, it is just so good trust in Jesus, isn't it? It's good to be able to say, I'm just going to do what he teaches me to do. I'm going to do everything I can to understand what he taught in the gospel. I want to understand just what the Bible says about life and the principles that are there. Because if I'm doing what God has taught me to do, if I'm living this way, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be worried. I've got the God of peace. I'm living life the way that the author of life has asked me to live. What could be better than that? As we sing our final song, and we're coming up to it now, you could use it as a prayer. You could commit to thinking the way that God has shown us to think in his word. And if the Holy Spirit has been doing something in your mind, if God has been doing a work in your heart, maybe you'd want to come forward and share that. Uh, we're going to have um, a couple of people, maybe four or five or so at the front here, who will come up. They'll come up during the song, and you can come and talk with them. Share what was going on. Share what God's done. And that way, um, they can pray with you. Uh, they, they can keep praying for you throughout the week. It can be a way to build one another up. What steps of obedience are next for you? What, what has God been doing in your heart and your mind as you've heard the way that we should think? I'll tell you, uh, this is a message that challenges me deeply because it really just affects how I think about everything, doesn't it? Everything in this world has to pass through this filter. And it's so important where I put my own thoughts and how I consider other people and how I evaluate decisions and what sort of an attitude is going to be mine in life. And I, I feel deeply challenged about this. There's a lot of work for me to do. That might be the case for you as well. But let's pray together for one another. Let's encourage one another. So we're going to sing our final song here. And then I would invite you, you could either come during the song or afterwards to be prayed for and to come and be encouraged.